The race for $2 million, of course, comes up empty for these celebrities. If any of you have seen the movie uh, Rat Race, we know that none of us would ever act that way if $2 million was on the line, right? You wouldn't be biting each other's arms. Well, this movie called Rat Race came out a while ago and certainly makes us laugh, and we can kind of point fingers at that scene, especially Mr. Bean. I'm a big Mr. Bean fan. Did I win? Um, But it does, even though we point fingers at it and even though it's kind of goofy, that scene that we just saw, I believe that it does get at this lie that we just heard read about from First Timothy, this idea that sometimes we come to believe that happiness is indeed within our grasp. If we can just arrange for it, if, if we can grasp at the, the temporary pleasures and the material things of this life, then we'll have true happiness. Now, money can certainly, I believe, get its hooks in us. Money can control us. Paul writes just before the passage that we heard read um, in verse 10. If you've got your Bibles open in verse 10, Paul says this. Some people, like we just saw, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But as I was reflecting on this uh, passage in these scriptures this week, I I, I thought, and and I wonder if it's deeper than that. I wonder if it's deeper for us today than just acquiring money or not that's the real danger in our lives. And so I want to start by asking the question of all of us today, what does it mean to be truly rich? What does it look like to have a rich life? And better yet, how do we find it? What's the source And so this is not just going to be another message about money, but it's going to be more so a message about the attitudes and beliefs that are in our hearts that lead us to run after these counterfeit pleasures of which the love of money is just one of many. Maybe the love of money and desiring more and more and more is just the tip of the iceberg of a much deeper issue that we have rooted in our hearts. In our passage for today, if you've got that in front of you, um, starting in verse 17, Paul gives us this warning not to look elsewhere from our Creator in search of a rich life. In fact, I think we've got that up on the screen. Let's read verse 17 together. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Everything for our enjoyment. And so if we know what the source is, as Paul tells us, put your hope in God, who is the source. If we know what the source is, why so often, if you're anything like me, do we find ourselves running elsewhere? Why do we run elsewhere? And I wonder if it's the the rat race... That movie is not just some silly movie, but I wonder if this idea of a rat race is this lie that we've been sold and the reality that we've sort of been lured into, even in sometimes subtle ways. Since September, the men here at City Branch have been uh, reading a book called The Man in the Mirror. And throughout the week, we've got different groups meeting and 
And one of the main themes of that book is how do we get away from the rat race of life, from this never-ending treadmill, it seems like, for more and more. And I've had the opportunity to be uh, reading along with them in this book as we go through the chapters uh, together, and maybe, hopefully some of you are, are going through that. But as this, a few weeks back, I was reading through, and this statement that the author made just really grabbed me about a different kind of rat race. Today we are consumed by desires to buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people that we don't even like. (laughs) It sounds kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? But is that not the world, the culture that we see around us? And so I was convicted because I'm a part of that. I've been there before, even if it seems ridiculous. But we know that this isn't just about men. We all fall into this trap. And don't be mistaken, you might be thinking, right now you might be saying, you know what, money is not really the issue for me here, so I'm just going to kind of tune out. I'm, that's the whole money and getting more things and possessions. That's, that's not really the rat race that I'm living. Well, maybe for you it's that you've been forced into getting by with little. And I wonder if for some of us this lie is a little bit more subtle than just the things that we can see. Whether you've been forced to live with little, whether you're choosing to live with little, it's not just about money. I wonder if the rat race looks a little bit more like an attitude of the heart that ends up determining our steps and the way that we live our life. Because if you're anything like me, you find yourself sometimes believing the when then lie. Turn to your neighbor and say, when and then. Oh, you can do better than that. Try it again. When and then. You got to say it like you're kind of confused, like you're really anxious to hear what's next. We see it as early as in small children, considering that when I get my happy meal, then I will be happy forever and I will never need another thing. And then when I get that special gift for Christmas that I've been looking forward to, then I will never need another gift for the rest of my life, at least until next Christmas. Then we skip ahead a few years, and we see many in high school believing that when I get to college, then I'll really have the freedom to be who I want to be, and I won't have my nagging parents telling me what to do. But then, of course, it's when I graduate, then I won't have to worry about all those silly tests and papers. I can have true freedom because I won't be living in a dorm and I'll be all grown up and by myself and then I won't have to worry about all stuff, all that stuff. Sometimes followed by when I find that special someone, then I will never be lonely again. And before and, and pretty soon they, people come to this shocking conclusion that in fact, maybe our spouses don't quite meet all of our deepest needs. (gasps) Shocking. But then we'll turn to when we get the next job or promotion, then we'll be able to own our own home or take that vacation or renovate the house or move into a bigger house. And soon it turns into thinking that, well, when the kids are all grown up and out of the house, then we'll finally have some more time to ourselves. And before we know it, it's when I retire, then I won't have a care in the world and I can just kick back and relax. And it's at that point that we look up and realize 
that the rat race has gotten the best of us too. And maybe we realize that right now was never good enough. Is the right now in your life ever going to be good enough for you? Or have you fallen trapped to the when then lie as well? All this has led me to come up with this very deep, rich, philosophical statement that I think is just going to blow your mind this morning. So get ready. Are you ready for it? Okay. Wherever you are, there you'll be. (gasps) Just take a moment. Let it soak in. I know it's deep. Just process it. Wherever you are, there you'll be. But if you think about that for a second, the truth is that no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what when and then scenario comes up, the ache that every single one of us has inside for the next thing to bring us that truly rich and satisfying life is never going to go away. Wherever you are, the ache goes with you. There was a common peasant man who was praying silently out a church, at, at, outside of a church, and a wealthy merchant, observing the man's devotion and sincerity, was deeply touched by the man, and so this wealthy merchant uh, offered the man a bag of gold. And he said, I know that you will use this money for God's work since I see you here at the church. Please take it, all of it. Just a moment, the, the peasant man replied. I'm not sure if it's lawful for me to take your money. I mean, aren't, aren't you a wealthy man? Do, do you, don't you have more money at home? Oh, yes, I have at least 1,000 gold pieces at home, claimed the merchant proudly. And so the peasant looked at him and said, well, do you want 1,000 gold pieces more? Well, why not? Of course, yeah, of course I do. Every day I work hard to earn more and more money. And... Certainly, every, every day I'm looking for that check. Certainly, I want more money. The peasant man pushed the bag of gold back to the wealthy merchant, and he said, I'm sorry, but I can't take your gold, he said. A wealthy man cannot take money from a beggar. The wealthy merchant was kind of taken back and said, How can you call yourself a wealthy man and me a beggar? The peasant man replied, I am a wealthy man because I have learned to be content with whatever I have received from above. You, on the other hand, are a beggar because no matter how much you possess, you will always be dissatisfied begging for more and more. And if we think about that in the context of what Paul writes to us today, if you look Back before our reading today in verses 6 and 7, Paul writes this. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Paul understood this this humbling truth that when, just like a board game that you play at home, when the game is over, All the fake money and all the chips and all the possessions and all the houses and everything that you won in that game, when the game is over, it all goes back 
in the box. And the same is true for our lives. And Paul's words speak to us not necessarily of, 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 of settling for less in this life or, or failing to strive for satisfaction. Of course we want to do that. But instead, Paul's words about contentment challenge us to loosen that grip that we have on needing to find the next fad, the next big thing, the next spiritual high, the next rush, the next victory, the next thing to meet our needs. And so the challenge for every single one of us today is this. Do I believe, do I believe that God will provide everything that I need to accomplish whatever he has called me to do? And of course, our first gut reaction is, yes, of course, he's God. Well, do you believe it for yourself, personally, right now in your life? Is there something that you're saying, man, if God could just come through for me in that circumstance, I feel like God's been silent in this part of my life. I feel so distant from God. Do you believe that no matter what circumstance of life you find yourself in right now, that God, in the richness of who he is, will provide everything that you need to accomplish what he's called you to do. Maybe not what you think you're called to do, but God has provided everything you need in the right here and now. Let's look at it another way. One day there was a fisherman who was lying on a beautiful beach with his fishing pole propped up in the sand and his own just one line cast out into the sparkling blue water. With his feet kicked up, he was enjoying the warmth of the afternoon sun and the prospect of catching a fish. And it was about that time that he was there that a a wealthy businessman came walking down the beach trying to relieve some of the stress from his workday. And he noticed the fisherman sitting on the beach and he decided to find out why this man was fishing instead of working harder to make a living for himself and for his family. You aren't going to catch very many fish that way with just one line, said the businessman to the fisherman. You should be working rather than laying on a beach. It's so less productive. The fisherman looked up at the businessman, smiled and replied, and if I did that, what would my reward be? Well, the businessman said, you could, you could get bigger nets and, and you could catch more fish. And the fisherman replied, okay, so then what would my reward be? The businessman replied, well, well, you will make more money and, and you'll be able to buy a big boat and then that will result in larger catches of fish. And the fisherman looked up and smiled again and said, okay, well then what would my reward be? Now the businessman was beginning to get a little bit irritated at the fisherman's questions and, and so the, the businessman replied, well, you can, of course you could buy a bigger boat and then, and then if, with more money you could hire some more people to work for you. And then what would my reward be, the fisherman said. And the businessman was getting angry. And he said to the fisherman, don't you understand? You could, you could build up a whole fleet of fishing boats and sail all over the world and just let your employees catch all the fish for you and you'd never have to do anything else for the rest of your life. And once again, the fisherman asked, okay, well, and then what will my reward be? Now the businessman was just red with rage and shouted at the fisherman. Don't you understand that you could become so rich that you will never have to work a day in your life again? You can spend the rest of your days sitting on this beach looking at the sunset and you won't have a care in the world. 
And the fisherman <laughs> looked up and smiled again, looked up at the businessman and said, and what does it look like I'm doing now? And then he looked up at the sunset with his pole in the water without a care in the world. Now, just like the businessman, I wonder if we were to start asking the deeper questions, that we would be able to find the motives behind so much of what we do. And we'll start to get at some of the questions behind the questions, the lies that we've maybe been led to believe. Why is it that you work as hard as you do? Why do you seem to always avoid having that tough conversation with your daughter? Why is it that you're so afraid to have your dad find out that you lost your job again? What are the questions behind the questions for you today? Could it be that we're a little bit more a part of this rat race than we think? only that it's not as visible for everyone to see. It's pretty easy to hide, isn't it? So now back to the story. Some of you would look at that that illustration, that story, and say, well, the fisherman has found the secret to a rich life, right? That's the lesson of that story. He doesn't have a care in the world. He can kick back, relax, and enjoy. I mean, that's really what we're all looking for, right? Right? But if we look a little bit deeper and we ask the question behind the question, although that life seems intriguing, it may not bring us the richness that we're truly looking for. Now, of course, I don't disagree. The businessman is mistaken, of course, in believing that material wealth brings the joy and the satisfaction that he truly needs. But the fisherman, it seems, has also disconnected himself from the world for personal relaxation and pleasure. Now, I have absolutely nothing against vacations. I love vacations. I love beaches. I love mountains, same way that we all do. I'm not opposed to taking time away. Absolutely not. But today, for this illustration, for this question, it, the, the illustration begs to ask this question, can we avoid the rat race of life altogether by simply withdrawing from the world and simply looking out for number one, for ourselves. Hold that thought, and I want to throw this at you. Instead of running the rat race with no end in sight, with, with as we saw in that opening clip, we open the locker, and we're left with emptiness. I believe that Paul, writing to Timothy here in our scripture for today, and writing to us in these passages communicates three very different ways of truly being rich. So let's take a look at this together. First, I believe it's that we would be rich in relationship. If you step back and think about it, God has surrounded each of us today with a group of people, no matter where you're at, no matter where you live, God has surrounded you with a group of people for a reason. And how often do we slow down and ask, not in a negative way, like, God, why these people? But when's the last time we actually slowed down and asked the question, 
really, really wanting to know, God, why, why this family that I'm sitting with here today? Um, why, why, why these friends that I have? Why this circle of friends? Why, why these coworkers that I sit in that cubicle with? Why, why these roommates that I have? Why this church family? How is it that I came to be put in this position with these people at this point in time? How often it is that we overlook the potential for deeper relationship that is sitting right in front of us. No matter where you're at, no matter what your circumstance is in life. So let's look at verse 20 together. If you've got your Bibles open, let's look at verse 20. Paul sort of wraps, us, wraps up this entire passage, this letter to Timothy in this, in this part of the chapter, and he, he wraps it up with these closing remarks. And usually when you're writing a letter to someone, you want to send them out with sort of a conclusion statement, right? You want to wrap it up and say, this is the most important thing. Of everything that I've told you, remember this. Don't forget this. And Paul's charge to Timothy is this. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Timothy is, is a new leader of this church that Paul has entrusted him with, that he's been trained to lead. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. He doesn't say to Timothy, okay, Timothy, you're a great church leader. Go and save the world. Go, Timothy, and get famous and build this huge, massive church. Go, Timothy, go change the world. But instead, Paul says, be faithful with what God has given you and pour into the lives of people around you with everything that you've got. Even if the relationships in your family or or those that you're surrounded with today are, are, are nowhere near the relationships that you desire. Even if your past relationships have been broken and the people that you're with now are not the people that you started your life with. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Realize the importance of the here and now. When we, we see Jesus model this all throughout the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is walking with the 12 disciples. He walked. He talked. He ate. He joked. He mentored. He played. He challenged. He encouraged them. And in the end, what we see, Jesus reaped the benefits. He brought in a harvest of a time well spent with 12 ordinary men who ended up changing the world. Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Now, I'm a big Iowa Hawkeye fan, and so I'm slightly depressed today. We suffered our first loss of the season yesterday. I sat in my chair in shock for a while, reeling in the defeat, and then I decided that there was more to life than football. But as though I am a Hawkeye fan, it does pain me to use an illustration about that other team in Ames. But do you remember a few weeks ago when Iowa State beat Nebraska? Do you remember that? Iowa State went to Nebraska and beat them. It was the first time in over 20 years they went to Nebraska and beat the Cornhuskers. Well, I happened to uh, come across a clip of the Iowa State players and Coach Paul Rhodes in the locker room following that victory, one of the biggest victories 
of course, that Iowa State's had in the last ever so many years. And, and Paul Rhodes is, is the head coach, first-year coach, and he's with there with his players. And the players are just jumping up. These, these full-grown, strong, built football players are just acting like little boys. They are so excited, and they're jumping up and down, and they're running into each other and giving each other high fives and tossing water bottles around, and they're singing the school fight song at the top of their lungs. And right in the middle of that, Coach Paul Rhodes steps right into the middle of this big mosh pit of all these big football players, and he says, Men, listen! Listen to me. I have one thing to say to you. You need to know that I am so proud. I am so proud to be your coach. And that room just erupted louder than it has ever probably been. And they all just jumped on him and started jumping on their coach and hugging him. All the players just got together. I am so proud to be your coach. And what makes this impactful is that Coach Rhodes was not talking about how great of a game it was. It was actually a rather ugly game. He wasn't talking about how many nice, amazing plays these guys made. He wasn't talking about about how popular of football players they are, about how they're going to make the newspaper headlines in the next day. He wasn't talking about any of that when he said, I'm proud to be your coach. He was talking about their hearts. He was talking about their dedication. He was talking about their development that he'd seen in them, more importantly than football players, but as men. I am so proud of you. And I have to believe that long after the careers of these Iowa State football players are done, they will never, they will never forget their coach saying that to them. There's doing your job and going through the motions. And then there's leaving an impact on people's lives. Who has God given you? Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Parents, what kind of life are you modeling for your children? A rat race or a life that's rich in God and relationships? Or maybe for you today, you've maybe reached the second half of your life and you've decided, you know what? Any impact that I would have made, that would have happened a long time ago. Now it's time to just kick up my feet, relax, and just kind of Write it out to the end. Now is the time when we need you the most. Today, it does not matter what brokenness or pain you have been through, what mistakes that you may have made in relationships in the past. You have a story. Every single one of us has a story to share. You have wisdom to share. What will determine the second half of your life? What will determine the second or the, the, the final third of your life? Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Rich in relationships. And secondly, if you look back at verse 18, Paul makes it very clear also that we are to be to, in, in our seeking of a very rich life. We are to be rich in good works. Verse 18 says, We are to be rich in good works and generous to those who are in need always being ready to share with others. To be rich 
in the way we serve one another. I am so thankful. I am so grateful to you as a church that you continue to demonstrate this in so many ways in the ways that you serve here on Sunday morning and the little things and the ways that you do the same thing out in the community during the week. I pray that we don't stop with that kind of richness. We know from, we, we, we knew as we started City Branch about a year and a half ago now that, that as leaders that we would not be a church that exists for ourselves. We would not be a church that comes here on Sunday morning and gathers together to be a clubhouse. To come together and have our little holy huddle and our little club. We knew from the get-go that we would be turned outward to the city. And if there's anything that we hear more than any other statement when we're doing a missions event or outreach or when people go on mission trips and they come back, what we hear more than, than any other statement is, I, meaning the person that served, I have been so blessed. I have been so blessed. We come thinking that by serving, we're the ones that are bringing the joy and the love. And that is certainly true. But it always gives back so much more than we could ever give. We always get back so much more from those that we're able to love and to serve than we could ever give to them. In other words, what a rich experience it is to serve. Serving is where the true joy is at. We are not blessed to hoard it for ourselves, but to give it away. And it's at this point, with this point of when Paul says, be rich in good deeds, that it's important that we don't forget that Paul is not saying to us, your good deeds will earn you that rich life. That, that treasure of eternal life that Paul talks about. Instead, it's because that treasure can live inside of us through Jesus that through the gift of grace, we can freely offer what we have first been given. Sometimes I wonder, what will the lasting impact of this church be? What, what mark will we leave on the city? And I believe in my heart, and I pray this continues to be true, that it will be of a community who has experienced the grace of a Savior so much that we could not help but give it away to the city around us. Rich in relationships, rich in serving one another. But finally, as we've just heard, that richness comes from a source. The source of that joy, the source of all pleasure and satisfaction. I believe we have it up here on the screen, but let's read together these verses uh, 12 and 13. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything. Notice what Paul says. Take hold of this eternal life now. You can have it now. Not just someday up in the clouds in heaven, that this idea that we have of eternal life. This eternal life with Jesus can begin now, or Paul wouldn't have said, take hold of it. This life, this love, this grace that's available to you in Jesus, it's available now. Paul says it this way in Colossians. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
this treasure can live inside of you. God's riches inside of you. That is a rich life. That is the treasure that lasts, that goes with you in every season, no matter if you're in the when or if you're in the, if you're in the then. That treasure lasts forever. In fact, Christ in you is the greatest gift that you could ever give to those around you. Maybe what we really need for a full and rich life is right in front of us today. Rich in relationships, rich in serving one another, and rich in the good news of Jesus Christ that is available to every single one of us. This love is waiting for you, calling you to stop running around in the rat race, trying to find life on your own, or trying to fix your problems by yourself. I want to close today with a clip that I believe is much deeper than just what the film is about, and I believe that it truly speaks to this idea of a rich life. Mr. Holland's Opus is a film that came out a few years ago about a high school band instructor named Glenn Holland, who had served faithfully at the same high school for decades upon decades, through joy and in pain, through the changing of seasons and cultures. He's mentored and developed the gifts of hundreds of students. And one day, towards the end of the movie, as he's getting up in years, the music program at the high school, after 30 or 40 years, is tragically cut. And with that, his job in which he has spent his life's work. And in this clip that we're about to see, a demoralized Mr. Holland is walking through the halls of his high school one final time, believing the lies that he has failed, believing the lies that he has has, um, made no lasting impact at the school. But in fact, Mr. Holland is pleasantly surprised to find something very different. Let's take a look. Now, what is that? Um, I don't know. What, you can't hear what's going on in the auditorium? Oh, yeah, I, I, I hear it. Well, there's something going on. I think mm-hmm. it's supposed to be. Well, it could be something going No, the summer program won't start for
writes to us, In this way, they, meaning all of us, will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Maybe the things that you do on an everyday basis as a husband or a wife, as a father or a mother, as a grandmother, as a grandfather, as a teacher, whatever you do, whether you're employed right now or not, maybe the people that God surrounded you with are there for a reason. And maybe you have the chance to make much more of a lasting impact in their lives than you will ever know. And I'm going to have you watch one final speech by Mr. Holland's, one of Mr. Holland's former students who he had many trouble, troubles with, who he never thought that he would get through to, who has now ended up to be the governor of the state. Because a certain teacher did not give up on her. And as you watch this clip, I pray that you would let her words be the words of your Father in heaven today, cheering you on to never give up, asking you to consider today what it is that truly makes life rich. Let's take a look. Mr. Holland had a profound influence on my life, on a lot of lives I know. And yet I get the feeling that he considers a great part of his own life misspent. Rumor had it he was always working on this symphony of his, and this was going to make him famous, rich, probably both. But Mr. Holland isn't rich, and he isn't famous, at least not outside of our little town. So it might be easy for him to think himself a failure. And he would be wrong, because I think he's achieved a success far beyond riches and fame. Look around you. There is not a life in this room that you have not touched. And each one of us is a better person because of you. We are your symphony, Mr. Holland. We are the melodies and the notes of your opus. And we are the music of your life. today by asking you this question. What is it that makes up the symphony of your life? May you be rich in God's desires to live in you and through you. And may you be rich in the lives that he wants to impact through you.